In this week's episode, I chat with Zimbabwe birder Jean-Michel Blake, who recently saw his 700th species for the region. We chat about his birding journey, guiding guests, snakes, Zimbabwe birding, and we get some tips on how to see the sought-after African pitta. Westermans is running a wild bird card competition. When you buy a Westermans wild bird 10kg limited edition bag, you get two collectible cards. And in addition to collecting the wild bird cards, you'll stand a chance to win amazing prizes worth over 100,000 rand, including a pair of Swarovski EL 10x42 HD binoculars valued at 45,000 rand. The competition runs until the 31st of August, and you can find more details at www.westermans.co.za. Westermans, for the love of birds. My name is Adam, and this proudly South African podcast is your weekly source of news about birds, birders, destinations, conservation, gear, books, and well, anything that we think birders would want to hear about. So, welcome to the show. So, without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of the Birding Life podcast. Recently, you got your 700th species for the Southern African region, so well done on that first and foremost. So, tell us about the bird that you got for your 700th and also a little bit about the experience around that. So, it was a fairy flycatcher. Thank you for the congratulations. Um, yes, it was a fairy flycatcher. I was in South Africa for a few weeks and I just reached out to all my friends down there, made a few plans around what I should try and look for. And then scrolling on eBird, I found uh, the little Klufendal Nature Reserve, which wasn't too far from where I was staying at the time. And I'd seen that the fairy flycatch had been logged there in a a few days prior by a gentleman by the name of Martin Benedy. So I did a bit of Facebooking and I found his name and I gave him a call and got a bit of gen from him. So thank you to Martin. And yeah, I wandered around the reserve for a few hours, um, just birding as you will, as you do. And right at the last minute, as I was about to drive out, literally in the car park after having walked about seven kilometers around the reserve, there was this fairy flycatcher hopping around in a little shrub right in the car park just about. So I was very happy, <laughs> but certainly had to work hard for it. Yeah, but I think that's quite fantastic about, you know, it just shows in a nutshell what modern day birding is all about. You know, firstly, you had the eBird, which is a fantastic app, you know, in terms of finding birds and you can go on to different locations and see where people have recently recorded species. That's fantastic. And then obviously the the other side of it was obviously the being able to reach out to Martin via Facebook and to find out more about the bird he had seen. And then obviously on top of it all was the skill that you had. And I think that's just a, an amazing picture of what modern day birding looks like. You know, that 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 connection between people, birds and technology. It was yeah, it's such a cool in a nutshell to explain what birding modern day birding's all about. Yes, I think we have to use all the tools at our disposal. And obviously being a Zimbabwean birder, to be honest, it was my first time birding in the Hauteng area, you know, other than in a taxi from the airport or something. So I didn't really know where to go or what to do. So tools like SABAP2, eBird, just, and obviously having some friends, it really helps a lot to just reach out to guys. And, you know, most people are very willing to help and that's always great. So 
I think it's important to utilize all the tools you can and then a bit of luck on the day, maybe a bit of skill. And yeah, it's all part of the fun. So a question I like to ask people and, you know, because obviously a lot of people don't get birding, you know, people might stumble across the show and never tried birding themselves. And they wonder why we wake up at crazy hours of the morning to chase after birds. And I mean, even we're speaking about you've seen your 700th species, which you had to travel around for. What is the thrill of birding? Why birding? I mean, you you would you would you are what many people would class as a younger birder. Um, what is the thrill of birding? I think there's multiple factors. Obviously, birds are beautiful. I think there's always the fact that they can fly. I think humans have been amazed by flight for as long as humans have existed, I guess. And so I think there's that side of it. And then for me, it's it's also just the thrill of the thrill of the chase, trying to go to new places, look for new species. I try and not be too much of a twitcher, shall we say, but it's it's also just having a target, having trying to go and find something new is just part of the fun, I think, for me anyway. So we're obviously going to learn a lot about your birding journey and just about your guiding journey also um, during this episode, but besides being a birder, tell us about yourself, a little bit more about yourself, besides the birding aspect. So besides the birding, growing up, I just always had an interest in being outside. I, don't, I grew up in suburban Harare, so in Zimbabwe anyway, it's a bit unusual for someone like me to end up in a safari guiding role. Most safari guides in Zimbabwe have grown up on a farm or with parents in the industry. I had basically none of those things. But just as long as I can remember, I was outside in the garden with my bird book or my tree book or my grasses book, whatever I could find on the shelf at the time. And yeah, that was basically me growing up. Went to a private school in Harare, day school, just, you know, Mr. Average guy. Um, enjoyed my sport, sciences in school. Um, but I always knew I wanted to get out into the bush for some reason and started guiding when I was 18. Um, and with the guiding, there's a lot of other aspects. So I developed a bit of a love for mechanics, which is quite useful because I own a Land Rover. Um, and then, yeah, I just developed birding over time, but always been a fan of the outdoors and exploring, hiking, rock climbing, are things that I've got into later in life as well. And then what I'm always interested to ask people, is there, uh, you know, you spoke about how you almost accidentally came into birding. It was just part of the package, loving nature and getting out into nature. So birds just wasn't like a natural progression. But is there a specific memory that maybe at a younger age or something related to birds that just sticks, something that you just, you can go back and say, wow, that's something that, I always remember about myself in my birding journey. Yes, I think there was. Um, it may be a common bird to us now, but I just remember being, I don't know how old I was, but I was probably, you know, nine or something like that years old, just wandering around the garden. And I had my grandmother's old binoculars, you know, those seven by 50 huge things. And I just remember seeing this beautiful, bright orange bird and I, I couldn't figure out what it was. And then obviously right there and then got the bird book out, flicked through. It was an orange-breasted bushrike. But 
that little memory is still in my mind, you know, just the beauty of it and this little thing that I found on my own in the garden. I just thought that was, that's something that still sticks in my head. And I was very young for when that came around. I think something quite interesting, you know, I, had a, I was birding with a friend the other day. I'm going to write an article about this for the website in the next couple of weeks. But I was out birding with a friend and he asked me, you know, what's your favorite bird call? And I was trying to like, you know, there's this part of us, I don't know why human nature is like this, but we like to try and come up with the cleverest answer possible to sound like we more intelligent than we really are. But if I'll be honest with you, the you know, speaking about that early memory, um, I only started birding much later in life, but the memory that always sticks out to me and, and, and I can my favorite bird call would be well, would be the ringneck dove which used to be called the cape turtle dove obviously and I remember growing up my used to go visit my my, my family in um, Benoni of all places and you know I remember my, 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 my mother's uncle used to feed the birds and he used to have like I'm talking about thousands of birds would gather on all the roofs around the whole his whole house like they were just thousands and thousands of birds and he used to take the seed and the crazy story is he actually used to separate the bird seed like into like by this big bag and then separate it. I don't know what that was all about but he used to separate the bird seed and you know put the different seed have half a loaf those days you know when they thought that bread was good for birds they used to put the bread out don't judge me that was those days but you know the thing about that is it's uh the cape turtle dove is one of those birds that just I can remember them calling at that time and I you know when I hear a cape turtle dove call it almost takes me back to to that time. And I can imagine even for yourself, you know, when you hear an orange brush the bush rock, you know, the coffee tea me call, I'm sure it takes you back and it reminds you of that memory. It's almost like your that bird connects you back to that story all the way back then. Yes, definitely. It's, it's always nice to have something that links to a past memory and it's amazing how these little, just small things like a little call or a little sighting just triggers that memory in your mind takes you back to when you were young I guess (laughs) and then when you were 15 years old you got into bird ringing now tell us about that experience how did what what made you start bird ringing and tell us about your experiences with bird ringing and also how did that you know having birds in hand you know seeing them up close how did that help grow your love for birds yeah it's a it's definitely a pivotal moment in my birding career and it was something that I came across sort of bit by luck um my direct family weren't really great outdoorsy people, and, but a couple of my high school friends were. And basically my friend's mom said, hey, John, do you want to go do this bird ringing course? Um, it's out at Lake Chivero. My, my son or her son and my friend were, were going to be there. And so there was about, I can't remember, probably about 10, 15 Zimbabweans, and I think about three or four South African um, ringers came up to help with BirdLife Zimbabwe. So it was a BirdLife Zimbabwe organized ringing course, and it was about a week long. And yeah, it was just something that I'd always kind of been interested in, but never really knew about it. bird ringing to me. I'd never heard of it up until that point. But just, you know, being outside, camping, catching birds, it just seemed like a fun thing to do. So I was ecstatic to be on that trip and yeah we caught so many birds I can't remember how many but I think you know ringed a few hundred birds one of them being a corncrake which I'm sure quite a few people will be jealous of I actually ringed that one myself so yeah I got to handle quite a few cool birds in that time and then basically the bird lives in Bali was trying to get their bird ringing back up and running in the country 
it had kind of fallen away. Just various reasons, obviously, people leaving the country, various um, economical challenges, etc. So it kind of fallen away. They tried to get it back up and running again. And so we, we actually went out every, I think literally every weekend for the next two years while I was still in high school, just in and around Harare. We had four kind of main sites that we went to and we just pretty much rotated through those. And yeah, it was awesome. Obviously, holding the birds in your hand gives you a whole new perspective. Um, you know, you get bitten by bushrikes and you realize that that little beak is not just for show. Um, weavers are good at that as well. And then, you know, we got the odd cool things, you know, the odd owls, the odd raptors, all sorts of different birds over the years. And also just being amongst that community, which I didn't really know about, helped me to progress my birding. Because obviously now I was with the now CEO of BirdLife Zimbabwe and um, various other, you know, serious birders. So it was pretty, pretty awesome to be a part of that. Here's, here's a big question I thought about now. You know, you obviously are a Zimbabwe birder and Zimbabwe, you can get the holy grail of African birding, the African pitta. So have you seen an African pitta? Oh, yes, quite a few times. I'll uh, make a few of my friends jealous most years. But yeah, I first went for them in 2017. Um, if you look into African pitta trips in Zimbabwe, you'll probably know about Derek Adams. So I went to the camp that he operates out of now for his birding safaris, kind of before he started doing them there. So I went to that same camp. Um, I think we saw about five. We found the nest. And in fact, that nest was quite a good find because a few years prior, the nesting site had been disturbed by someone and no one had actually recorded where they were breeding for maybe two or three years, I think, in that in that sort of localized area anyway. So it was pretty good for us to find the nest. And yes, have seen them a few times. Then since then, I'm not sure if I've been back there, but I've managed to find them in a couple of other places like Mana Pools. Um, haven't found them in Matusa Donna, but I know where they are now that friends have found them. So yeah, it's been pretty great. <laughs> and and then you also, um, you when we were chatting before, you into also you enjoy snakes. Um, any scary snake stories? Because you know people have this idea when you come. I've got people that don't go into the bush, and they got this absolute fear of going into the bush because they're just scared they're going to come across a black black mamba. It's going to like rip their neck off or something. They've got this absolute fear. And like I've been out in the bush, like I don't know how many times I've never seen a black mamba. I mean, I've pro I've seen two green mambas in the time I've been out, but a couple of spotted bush snakes and that, but that's pretty much it. Um, and a lot of people have this absolute fear of snakes out in the <laughs> out in the field. Yeah, it's it is a interesting fear. I'm not I'm not as not afraid of snakes. I have a respect for them. I don't handle venomous snakes, um, but harmless ones I'm quite happy to catch and relocate and things like that. But in general, look, I've been working basically full time in the in the bush for about 12 years. So I have had a few snake encounters. Um, one of the scarier ones and one of the funnier ones, I don't know if you've ever come across a, a common egg eater, but one of their defenses is they, they have these keeled scales and they curl up in a little ball and they make a noise. It sounds exactly like a puff adder. So it's like a, pff, a puff adder kind of hiss almost. 
and I was walking down the path in camp, you know, not paying attention. I don't know if where I was looking or what I was doing. Didn't think even, don't even think I had my torch on. And next second I stopped, I stepped and there was just this puff had a sound and I just froze. Slowly grabbed my torch, started shining around. And there was this little egg eater right next to my foot. But that was pretty scary, I have to say. Luckily, it wasn't a puff adder. Um, otherwise, yeah, I've been face-to-face with the odd spitting cobra. Oh, it's crazy. I, I'd rather not have that experience, to be honest with you. I, actually, when we were birding, the one day we saw big wrinkles, but stayed far away from it and stayed far away from me. I was quite actually quite happy about that. Cobras... Here in Zimbabwe, they, there's lots of them. <laughs> so we do we do come across them occasionally, but you know, most of the time you, I literally remember growing up and we had one in our garden, or well, we had multiple in our garden over the years, and it's a snouted cobra, and they're fairly territorial, and we just had one that lived in our front lawn basically, and he just poke his head out the hole and sit there, and you, I'd literally be sitting on the on the couch in the lounge, look out the window, and oh, there's snouty head out the hole but he never bothered anyone we didn't bother him so you can live alongside them if you're willing so yeah there's great advertising for birding in zimbabwe so there's a whole lot of people that were listening to the beginning thought okay we're definitely the zimbabwe <laughs> trip then heard all these stories about the snakes and there's no flipping way we going to zimbabwe yeah yeah sorry to all the birding guides who thought they were going to get some business <laughs> as always the birding life is proud to be associated with sarofsky optic one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lasser bird logging app. Spot, plot, play a part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. One of the ways that you can help us to keep putting out the content that we are releasing is by supporting our online shop. We sell optics, books, Westerman's products, and a whole lot more. Check out the shop on our website www.thebirdinglife.com If you need any help with any of the products, please don't hesitate to email us on info at thebirdinglife.com Just to rewind back earlier, let's go back into birding. I was actually should have asked you this earlier, but my brain's all over the place. But just, uh, you know, I know we, we spoke about Derek Adams and that, and, you know, I know for the experienced birders, this will be a question. They'll be like, why are you even asking this? But I also know that there are listeners that listen to this that aren't as experienced. So, Obviously, the African pitta is almost the holy grail of South Africa of, of, of African birding, one of the most sought-after birds I'd even dare to say in the world. What are what are some tips around finding it? You know, obviously you're gonna the best is to get connect with like Derek Adams. He is like you know the camp and that. But you know, at the time of the year, what what are some things that people would like to see in African pitta, and they would like to come up to Zimbabwe to see one? I mean, there's you have to come at a certain time of the year. There's certain things. So, what would you? Someone is listening, goes and Google, say, wow, Af- African pit is amazing. I want to see one. What what would they need to do to see one? Okay, so from our Southern African context, I'm not really sure what they do once they're out of our sub-region. But essentially, in my experience, they arrive with first really good rains of the season. So probably, you know, end of November, early December, they start arriving in Zimbabwe, we start getting reports Um, And there's a bit of randomness to the reports in terms of as they arrive, they arrive somewhere, they call for a couple of days, they might move on. So I think what's important is finding a place where it's not just a random record, but they actually are there calling, breeding, and 
kind of living there for a few months rather than random records. I I had one in Mana Pools a couple of years ago, and they are known to breed in the in the in the in the park, um, various places. But this was a fairly new sighting, shall we say, new area. I recorded them one weekend, came back the next weekend, couldn't find them. So that just shows that obviously that bird was kind of passing through that area, didn't get any response to his calling. Um, but somewhere like where Derek Adams is, they, they're breeding there. So your chances are quite high. So I'd say any time from mid-December onwards is fairly good. But once they're actually on the nest, the kind of vocalizations, I'm not sure if they stop entirely, but they're basically going to stop calling for intensive purposes. So you've got a couple of week window to, if you want to try and you know find them by yourself, if you're going to an operator who's got an area where they are, then that's obviously a different story. But if you're going into an area trying to find them, your best window is probably going to be that three weeks from like the first week of December to the end of December, early January. So the trip I did was around Christmas time. When I first arrived, we had them calling just about every day. But by the time I left on the 2nd of January, we actually saw the birds sitting on the nest and on eggs. And the, the calling had reduced. So I think there's that window. And then what the guides do in those areas, if they have a nest site, then obviously you can be in the vicinity with a hide or something like that. And you can still get sightings extended into into the January months, which is good. But your best time to probably find them is early December, I would say. And then one kind of day thing to look out for is they're actually quite vocal during during rainstorms, and that sort of you know, those big thunderstorms you get around that thunderstorm is a very good time. Um, often, almost while rain is falling or just before, just after, they're very vocal as well. And then, depending on how wild the birds are, you know, some areas they're a bit more relaxed around people. Some areas they they'll they'll fly away as soon as they see you. You've just got to adjust your kind of stalk to be more careful depending on where you are. So the ones in um, the Dandy area where Derek Adams operates, Jim Mackey operate, um, they they fairly relax the birds, but that's they're not they're not easy. But then if you go into Matusadana or Mana Pools where they not, you know, they're probably not going to have seen people before. But those areas are basically tourist-free at that time of the year. The ones I found in Mana, if they saw you, they would, they would either keep quiet or they would move away. So you've got to be very careful. Um, in terms of use of playback, I've, I've tried, but I've never had much success. But I have heard... Um, of guys using playback to get a call and then obviously they can find it like that but i'm not sure if the bird will actually come in to your call i think it's just to get a the the wild one to call and then you you can try and find that 
Well, I definitely have to make a plan to come up to Zim to see one of those because that's like my absolute dream bird. But what was very interesting was was that your you know you did guiding 15, 15 years in high in high school. You did your um, got involved in bird ringing, got involved in guiding, but the birding bug really bit hard. Not in Africa, but all the way over in England. Tell us about that. Yeah, so it's a bit interesting considering that their relative lack of diversity compared to ours. Um, but in Zimbabwe, anyway, the the younger birding community is very small. There's a few guys around that I know, but it was a bit difficult to kind of get into it, not having connections. And I just, although I was guiding, it was, you know, the pretty bushfowl birds you would show your guests. And I wasn't really targeting, you know, going on a pitta trip or targeting creepers in the Miomba woodland around Harare or flay birding. So whilst our minor pool season basically ends in November and only starts up in May, June, so I've got family kind of history in the UK. So I went over to London. My brother was had been living there for a couple of years. So I just went over and stayed with him basically for that off-season, um, which obviously is the UK winter, which is not ideal, but, you know, you do what you do. And, yeah, I started birding just around in a park called Richmond Park, which is basically in London. And I was wandering around, obviously with my binos and looked like a birder, and an elderly gentleman probably you know, probably close to his 70s then, saw me and came over and said, hi, are you birding? Do you want to see a tawny, tawny owl? And growing up, that's one of the things you always see in cartoons and things is an owl sitting in a hole in a tree, and I'd never seen that before. And that, so I actually got to see a tawny owl sitting in a hole in a tree, which was pretty cool, the classic sort of cartoon picture, this little owl sleeping in a hole. Um, and he said, oh, well, we do birding every Friday. We've got a little bird club that walks around here why don't you come and join us? So I actually did that for but basically the rest of the time I was in the UK, I was with them. Not that it's, you know, it's, it was winter, so there wasn't a hell of a lot, but in some ways, um, London, they get, they get migrants coming from the colder parts of Europe to there in the winter. Um, so there was a pretty good birding actually. And then I came across the Next Generation Birders Facebook group, which was quite, quite big at the time. I'm not on it anymore, obviously too old, but I'm not sure if it's if it's still going. And through the next generation birders, I came across the Youth Africa Birding, which was started up in South Africa by John Kinghorn and Tony Jedes. So I came across them. And then, yeah, I just kind of realized that there was a whole new world out there of really serious young birders. And there was listing and different apps you could use and all sorts of things that I just never really came across, just not being around the right people, I guess. And yeah, so it's a bit ironic, but left there, came back, and that's was probably about 2017. And that's, I think, the year I went for my first pitta trip and really pushed my Zimbabwean birding. And then um, another thing, obviously, 
chatted about John King on there. Another connection to John King on was that in 2018, you went to the champions of the flyaway and went there in 2018, 2019. I think that's something that yeah, must be a fantastic, fantastic experience. Chat about that for a moment. Yes. So obviously the Youth Africa Birding was a growing kind of Facebook group at the time. And I was posting quite a lot on there. And obviously with the Zimbabwean birds, and if you know John very well, the African pitta is one of his nemesis. And so I obviously got that and was teasing with photos and everything on the on the Facebook group. And yeah, obviously a lot of Zimbabwean birds are highly sought after by the South African birding community. So they were all quite jealous. And just through that group, I got to know a few of the South African birders who I'm still friends with today. And John had set up a team. Unfortunately, one of the one of the guys couldn't make it, so he then invited me to join. And that was, yeah, definitely a turning point in my birding. Got to meet, you know, obviously John, Tony, and then quite a few international birders as well, which was pretty amazing. And then, you know, as a birder, champions of the flyway, it's an amazing event. You know, there were 30-odd teams, four birders or so per team, as a Zimbabwean bird, I'd just never come across anything like it, really. Um, the volume of people birding, enthusiastic people doing all kind of coming together for the same goal, raising money, raising awareness for conservation, and then getting out into the desert and birding. And obviously, the migration route through Israel is spectacular with all the different eagles, you know, just hundreds if not thousands of them passing over certain areas obviously all the desert special species um you know you can be at a pan and there'll be a couple of hundred wagtails it's just it's just mind-blowing when you when you just have no kind of connection to that um and yeah so we went twice and first year our team was burning eco tours world youth birders so we had Birding Eco Tours as a sponsor. We had Swarovski Optic as a sponsor. And our team was made up of John and Tony from South Africa, myself from Zimbabwe, and a guy by the name of James Shergold from the UK. Who had, he had been a couple of times before, as well as John had been the year before as well. So we had a kind of team of two experienced, experienced Israel birders. By experience, you know, they'd been a couple of times. I had never been, Tony had never been either. But yeah, we gave it all and we actually won the Champions of the Flyway event that year. So we, we saw the most species um, on the day, on the race day, a big birding day. I'm sure most of your listeners will be familiar with the format. But what's different about the Israel one or the Champions of the Flyway one is that all the teams are birding within the same set area. So you're not choosing obviously you're choosing your route within that area but by this point most of the teams who are trying to win kind of know the better routes and obviously it's a bit of luck that you get right place right time there's obviously a lot of birders in the same area so people are reporting special sightings so you're doing kind of like targeted birding spots as well as little twitches along the way to add new species to your list. That day was hectic. We got two punctures. We 
yeah, we raced around like madmen, um, but yeah, all worth it in the end. And yeah, our team, we managed to get out there for about 10 days or so before, 10 days, 12 days, something like that. So just made a birding holiday out of it as well. So you've got to explore all the different areas, sites, bird together as a, as a team before the actual race day, um, which I think is quite important. And yeah, it was a pretty awesome experience. Certainly would love to go back again. Obviously not as a youth birding team this time, but yeah, it was pretty awesome. I'm quite stoked, you know, talking about John King on there, I was just looking, you know, I was quite, he was obviously doing a bit of his law studies and, you know, stuck in courts and that type of thing, not for his own um, injustice, not for his own crimes, let me just say that, <laughs> defending other people just before anyone thinks the wrong thing. Um, well, we never know, but yeah, no, but it's just cool that he's back in yeah. guarding in that and, you know, I just, you know, just a bit of a shout out. This is not, he didn't ask me to do this, but uh, go check him out, Untamed Birding on Instagram. And if you're looking for a fantastic guide, you know, John is one of the best around, such a passionate guy for birds and yeah, just all around nature. And I've been chatting about it and had a huge impact on my own birding journey. So I encourage you, Untamed Birding, um, this is an un, he didn't ask me to mention this, it's just you happened to mention him. I thought it'd be quite cool to give him a, bit of a, sh- a little bit of a shout out. But, you know, I could chat to you forever, but the one thing that, um, not forever, but for, for a lot longer, but the one thing that, you know, when you were mentioning, which I'm very passionate about, is that you are an atlaser. And, uh, you know, something about atlasing I love is that you're able to get out there, you're able to bird, you're able to do what you love. Um, and by, submitting what you see uh, using the protocols that uh, Sabab have, you're actually able to make an impact. And I love the fact that you go out birding and you're, uh, just by doing what you love, you're able to actually make a difference in conservation. So tell us a little bit about your atlasing up in Zimbabwe. And I know you, you're one of the almost on the most pentads, almost up there. I think you're third or something at the other top, almost seen atlas possibly the most birds in Zimbabwe. And it's pretty, pretty awesome for a, quite, a, quite a young guy. So tell us, what is, what is it that you love about atlasing so much? Yes, I think you, you summed it up pretty well there. Um, basically, whilst I'm at work anyway, every day of my life, I'm outside, I'm birding, I'm looking for animals, I'm interacting with guests when they're around. And yeah, I just like the fact that I can contribute to citizen science and help with whatever data I can. Um, I think in Zimbabwe anyway, it's, it's relatively underutilized. And yeah, in my birding journey, I've just kind of, I've almost atlased as many species in Zimbabwe as I've seen, if that makes sense, which for someone who's doing full protocol lists will kind of understand how tricky that can be. Um, so, yeah, we've, in my kind of age group around the 30s, I'm not really aware of anyone doing it that actively. Um, so we've got a few people, probably I would say 10, maybe less than 10 in Zimbabwe, really active. Um, so here yeah, it's just really important that anyone who can gets out and tries to submit something, you know, even if it's once a month, Whatever it may be, it just, it all helps. And we've got huge sort of blank areas in the country, obviously. Um, but it's, it's kind of growing. We, especially with Bird Lassa, uh, when I started 
the app that we used was uh, what is it called? Bird Links, I think it was called. Links Bird Ticks, yeah, Links Bird Ticks, I think it was called. Um, had a lilac breasted roller as the sort of app logo, and yeah, it worked, and it just wasn't as user friendly as the Bird S application that we have now. So we've got everything in the palm of our hands with our cell phone, and for me. Obviously, it's easier for me in a way because I've got a bit more of an exciting area to do it and I'm not in suburban Harare or Johannesburg. I'm out in, in the bush and I'm busy doing Atlas in card now. And, you know, it's already on about 70 species just around our headquarters. And obviously being winter months, we don't have a lot of birds around at the moment, or migrants anyway. But... Just picked up the rose eagle on a nest a couple of days ago. Um, tawny eagle on a nest. So certainly, just I find it just encourages me to get out there as well. You know, I'm like, oh, I have an atlas. I kind of have a goal in my mind of trying to do ten cards a month. Um, which obviously, whilst you're working, I can't be logging birds on my phone while I'm with guests all the time. So. It's a bit of a kind of work-life balance as it is for everyone. But at the moment, I don't have guests. I've got guests coming in a couple of days' time. And then depending on whether I'm with another guide or not, Zimbabwe, our guiding is, a, is an apprenticeship. So I'm a professional now, and I have a learner with me. So depending on the level that the learner is at, I'll usually just let him, uh, the one I'm working with now, he's almost at his professional license. So... He basically guides, and I'm just there because I'm the one with the piece of paper. Um, and obviously, I just fill in where he might need, and hopefully he learns from that. Um, and obviously, we just kind of review things as we go. But that allows me the freedom to not be fully focused on um, the kind of driving the car and all that stuff. So I can Atlas Bird and interact with the guests at the same time, which is a bit tricky when you driving, atlasing birds, <laughs> interacting with guests, it's a bit tricky. But um, yeah, it's just kind of part of my everyday life really now. And I had a look through, I'm pretty sure I've got the most species atlas in Zimbabwe, second most different pentads, and I think I've got the fourth most number of cards submitted. So catching up there quickly. Yeah, John, it's been really cool to chat to you. I could, like I said, I could keep chatting. I've got so much more I could talk to you about, but um, then we can have people sitting here for like four hours listening and they'll probably get tired of our dribbles. So <laughs> it's been awesome chatting to you and I hope there's going to be a part two because there's so much else we can talk about. And yeah, hopefully I'll connect with you, not down here, but hopefully I'll be able to connect with you up birding up in um, Zimbabwe sometime. It's like I, I, it's just you know the clothes of I was actually born in Zimbabwe born in Mutari I think it was called Imtari those days in the eastern highlands of Zimbabwe but I haven't been back th haven't been back there for like many years so it's it's one of my dream places to come and I'd love to love to do that little Harari weekend you know come up there for the weekend and just go after some of the you know you know some of those um you know specials around Harari and just and then obviously eventually get the pitta so maybe one day I'll come do, come up and do some birding with you in Zimbabwe It'd be really really awesome Yes, you're most welcome. And yeah, any listeners who are planning a Zimbabwe trip, I'm more than happy to help and point you in the right direction. And yeah, we've got an awesome number of birds to show you. 
and hopefully a few snakes along the way. But yeah, can't guarantee that. But yeah, it's been great chatting to you, Adam. Thank you for having me. Well, if people do want to make touch with you, what is the easiest way for them to contact you? So jm.blake. I'm on Instagram, Facebook on the same name. So that's usually pretty easy for people to find me. And I'm sure your little show notes will have my name so they can find me on Facebook. That's probably the easiest. Drop me a message and then we can switch to WhatsApp thereafter. No, awesome. I'll pop all those links into the notes of the show. So yeah, once again, John, thanks for being on the show. It's been awesome to chat to you. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's show. We really appreciate your support. If you have any comments or feedback on any of the episodes, feel free to drop us an email on info at theburninglife.com or send us a message on any of our social media platforms. We would love to get to know you better. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.